It's great to be with you as we continue the uh, Bible study sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, and today we'll be looking at the uh, mission, vision, and values of the church of Jesus Christ. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Most gracious and loving Father, we give you thanks and praise for you are deserving and worthy of all that we have and all that we are. We're grateful, Lord, for you calling us in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power and presence of your Spirit, to gather together to study your word once again. We ask you, O God, that your Spirit would lead us into all truth and wisdom, that you would anchor us into your heart and to your life, that you would open up those spaces and places in our lives to receive your word and to uh, live it out not only in our own life, but in the life of your church. We ask your blessing to be upon those who are not able to be with us, perhaps those on their way. We thank you, God, for all that you are doing in our life, in our individual and corporate life. So now, Lord, as we look into your word, might you, O Lord, lead us, guide us, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 7 and going through verse 16. Let us hear the word of the Lord. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says He ascended, what does it mean but that He also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same who ascended far above all the heavens, so that He might fill all things. The gifts He gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry For building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness in deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building, up, in building itself up in love. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we continue this uh, study in the Apostles' Creed and uh, looking at Ephesians. Uh, Jack preached on the first part of this chapter this past Sunday. Uh, Pastor Jan, two Sundays ago, continued our study in her sermon and Bible study on the Holy Spirit. And so we want to uh, sort of skate a little bit on that, on that piece of why is it that the church, when we talk about the church, Why is it that the discussion of the church is in that third paragraph of the Apostles' Creed on the Holy Spirit, right? The three sections, I believe in God the Father Almighty, I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church. 
what does the Holy Spirit have to do with the church? Why not put the church in the first paragraph about God the Father Almighty? Or in the second paragraph on Jesus Christ, why, why put it there with, with the Spirit? If you recall when, uh, when Jan uh, preached on this and then taught on, on, on this, uh, the role of the Holy Spirit or what the Holy Spirit's uh, work is, um, is directly tied to the teachings of Jesus, right? The Holy Spirit was given or was manifested um, in order to be the present advocate and teacher, right? What the Holy Spirit teaches us is what uh, Jesus taught. Um, and so they are in sync, one, one with another. There's, a, there's an interesting thing that happened uh, last week <clears throat> Where I have to say, and you all know how how kids and particularly teenagers uh, know how to manipulate time, and particularly when they want to postpone the time to go to sleep. And last week, our our boys, after uh, this was a Sunday night, not this past Sunday, but last Sunday, uh, they had finished uh, uh, Sunday school with Riley our new student ministry director, who's doing great, by the way. And they apparently had a, had a discussion on the Holy Spirit because that was a Sunday that Jan was preaching. And so Sunday is a, is a school night, right? And a school night means uh, in bed by 10, maybe 10.45 at the latest. Well, at about 10.45, uh, my two boys, being the, the wise guys that they're at, figured out, and they figured out pretty quickly how to postpone their bedtime, and that is to have a theological discussion. <laughs> and so they raised a question about the role of the Holy Spirit, and how is the Spirit, and how is Jesus, and how is the Father related? Oh, a discussion on the Trinity. Now, of course, we can't, you know, we can't postpone this till Monday or till next Sunday. I mean, you know, they're, they're wanting to know about the Trinity, Right, like this is the heart of the faith, and so we start talking about the creed and about the Holy Spirit. And they asked, "Oh, you know, how is it that Jesus hanging on the cross is um, is Jesus speaking to himself when he says, uh, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do?' Right? Is he speaking to himself? If he's God, which he is, is he just speaking to himself, or is he playing a different role? Is he putting on the hat of the Father?" Uh, speaking to another role, and then he puts on Jesus as another role, is, right? And so on and on it went. And I said, you know, there's really nothing new under the sun because the things that you're asking and the way that you're tackling the question of the Spirit and Jesus and the Father is what has been asked for generations, for millennia. And that, and that the creed answers that question. Right as the writers of this uh, creed were, you know, were wrestling with the Scripture's witness, what the Scripture has to say about about the Father and and Jesus and the and the Spirit. The conversation went for about an hour, and that led into other different different tangents. We went from the Trinity to um, how is it that the um, you know, that Jesus has two natures, right? A human and divine nature. And they went to salvation by, by 11.45. It was like, no, time. It's time. I know, we, I know this is good stuff, but it's time to go to bed. 
But it was, an, it, was a fascinating, it was a fascinating conversation as they were really grappling. And Andrew, our youngest one, just had enough and he just went upstairs. Daniel wanted to continue even more. I said, no, you really, you really have to go. And so it begs the question, why is it that the church uh, is connected with the Spirit in the third part of the creed? And um, Andrew's question was a pointed one and a good one. His question was, wasn't the Spirit always here? Right? Wasn't the Spirit always here? And the answer is yes, right? The Holy Spirit has always been here. So when we talk about the birth of the church, that the church, the church of Jesus Christ, the community of believers was birthed at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And we celebrate that on, on June 9th this year. We'll all be wearing red, and that's Promotion Sunday. That's a day for us to celebrate uh, teachers and all those from preschool to graduate school. We're actually planning a, a great big party for everyone here in the Fellowship Center and in the, in the patio on that day, June 9th. And we celebrate that as a gift of the Spirit, but also the birth of the church. Now, why is that? Has the Spirit always been here? The answer is yes, right? Even... even at the time of creation that we read in Genesis 1, the Spirit was hovering over the waters. Right? The same Spirit that gave life and gives life. Uh, the same Spirit that, uh, you know, that descended like a dove at Jesus' baptism. The same Spirit that, that called the disciples. Uh, when Jesus called uh, the fishermen, the, the tax collector to be His disciples, the same Spirit that gave life to Jesus Right? It's the same Spirit that came upon the disciples gathered in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 and birthed, quote-unquote, birthed the church. So, why is it then that the Spirit then is celebrated and the Spirit is recognized as giving birth to the church here uh, in this instance or in Acts 2 and then now is um, you know, in, in the creed connected with the church? Yes, the Spirit has always been here, but the, the fullest expression of the Spirit, right? The fullest expression. This is sort of like the sunshine outside. Two days ago, it was nice and bright and blue skies and the sun, right? Yesterday, the clouds sort of covered a little bit of that, but the sun has always been there. Hopefully tomorrow, the clouds will no longer be here. Maybe I don't know what the forecast is, but a fuller expression of that sunshine will hopefully come back. And in the summer, we have the fullness of the, of the sun, but the sun has always been there. Now, it's sort of like that. The fuller expression of the Spirit's presence and power is made even more apparent at Pentecost and then calls together believers and the church's birth. Now, we have to ask ourselves, now going to Jack's sermon on Sunday, the Holy Catholic Church, right? The universal church, the church in every time and in every place, has the church always been in existence, just as the Spirit has always been in existence? That if the church is the gathering of God's people in the name of Jesus Christ, has there, has there been the community of believers where two or three are gathered? And the answer is, is, a, is a yes, right? When, the, when Jesus called together Andrew, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, there's now two who are following Jesus. Can that be technically called the church? We could nod our heads and say, yeah, right? Um, but not in its fullest expression. 
right? It's not until Acts chapter 2 that the fuller expression of the church comes into fruition. And so, Acts chapter 2 and, and, and Pentecost, the decisive event of the, of the uh, tongues of fire and languages and so forth, and when the disciples are, uh, some of them are called to be apostles, right, to then be sent out to proclaim the good news. So you have the fuller, the fuller expression of the Holy Spirit, who has always been there since the beginning, and the fuller expression of the church, the community of believers, going in tandem, right? So when Jesus ascends, when Jesus returns uh, to heaven, and through Him the Spirit comes, we see there then a connection where as Jesus ascends, the fuller expression of the Spirit then comes into action. And the Spirit then is charging and, and, and propelling uh, the early disciples then to proclaim with great fervor and passion and power, this is who Jesus is. And so by the time we get to Ephesians and the Apostle Paul and the community that have been inspired and led by the Spirit to write this letter, the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus to emphasize at least a couple things. In the first three chapters, he'll be spending some, uh, a great deal of time uh, laying the case again and again that because of the great wisdom of, of, of God in His knowledge, in His wisdom, that He saw to it, He'll use the term predestined, uh, that in the, in the foreknowledge of God, in the great wisdom of God, in the, in the great love of God, Right, that God the Father through Jesus and through in Jesus' blood, we have been saved. And so, the first three chapters laying down that case um, that, that, that Jesus is the Savior, Jesus has purchased us. So, by the time that we get to chapter 4, the beginning that Jack preached on this past Sunday, the Apostle Paul then is left with a question, so, why have we been saved? Why have we been redeemed in Jesus? Uh, why have we been purchased? Why have we been loved? And so he, he says there, like at the beginning of chapter 4, lead a life worthy of the calling. The calling of what? The call to be disciples, right? The call to live a new life. Why has, why has Jesus um, loved us in the Father? Why has Jesus called us together to be a community of believers? Why has, why has Jesus given His life for us? Yes, for eternal life. Yes, to have everlasting life and to enjoy the blessings of God and to enjoy the Father. Yes. But secondly, to take on the mission, vision, and values of the triune God to take on the mission, vision, and values of the triune God, right? When we talk about mission, vision, values now here at Village Church, our mission, our mission is what? Following Jesus for life, right? When we talk about what is the mission and the vision of the church, the holy Catholic church, okay? Not just Village Church, but the church everywhere, 
what is the mission and vision. The mission and vision of the church of Jesus Christ is the mission and vision of Jesus. Right? We often say that God has a mission. God has a mission and has chosen and has invited the church to join that mission. Right? The church's mission is God's mission. God is on a mission. Do you believe that? God is on a mission. God is active everywhere. Um, God has been active even before that this congregation was summoned together in 1956. God has been a mission even before Pentecost, even before Acts chapter 2. Do you believe that? God has been a mission even before Jesus came on the scene in Bethlehem, because Jesus was always on the scene, right? God has been a mission on, on a mission even before the King David. God has been on a mission even before the birth of Moses. God has been on a mission even before the birth of Abram. God has been a mission even, even before even, even before the creation of Adam and Eve, God has been on a mission. And what is that mission? God has been on a mission to set about glorifying Himself. And when He decided in His great wisdom to create a creation for Himself, God has been on a mission to love that creation and to reveal Himself for and in that creation. God has been on a mission. And even after we finish our time here on earth, God is still on a mission to glorify Himself. And so, the mission and vision of God, right, is to glorify Himself, to which the church in every place, to which we are a part of the, the one holy Catholic apostolic church, we have been invited and to participate in that mission, which is to glorify God. Now, how do we glorify God? We glorify God by glorifying His Son, Jesus, because Jesus knows the way to glorify the Father. Now, how does He know that? Because He's the Son of God, and He's God Himself. Now, how will we know that when Jesus is absent from us? Because He is present with us. How? By the work and presence of the Holy Spirit. Got it? The church of Jesus Christ is a community of the followers of Jesus in the triunity of the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right? Community takes more than one person. And thus, we have Father, Son, Holy Spirit who are themselves the perfect community. They are a triune community to which the church of Jesus Christ has been invited to be a part of that community. And it is by the work of the Spirit that we are united to that community. So, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, as I note here in your outline, begins by quoting from Psalm 68, 18 with a little twist. Now, if you turn to Psalm 68, 18, the Apostle Paul and the writers of Ephesians who were inspired by the Spirit were given some editorial license to somewhat modify Psalm 68, 18. Now, if you look at Psalm 68, 18, the context of this, so I'm going to just read it straight from here, but feel free to open up your Bibles as well. Psalm 68, verse 18. 
You ascended the high mount, leading captives in your train and receiving gifts from people, even from those who rebel against the Lord God's abiding there. Verse 19, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Selah. Psalm 68.18 is talking about how in, in, in the Lord's strength, in the Lord's strength, in the Lord's love, in the Lord's power, the Lord God led God's people out of Egypt and that whole desert wilderness experience was symbolized by Mount Sinai. Now, those of you who love Lord of the Rings, remember the, uh, the first, the first uh, installment of that, the, uh, the Two Towers? Okay. The wilderness experience and the promised land were signified by two mountains. Mount Sinai and Mount Zion, right? In the Psalms and in Hebrew literature and Hebrew liturgy, a shorthand way of talking about the Exodus, the wilderness, Moses, Joshua, all of that was to simply say Mount Sinai. You immediately knew, okay, Mount Sinai, we know what that is. We know what that is, Mount Sinai. The giving of the law, Moses, the tablets, all the rest. Mount Sinai. The victory or the completion of that wilderness journey, the, the, the victory of God, the arrival, the, the finality of, wow, all of our struggle through the desert and so forth, we've arrived, is signified and symbolized by Mount Zion. Now, for those of you who have gone to the Holy Land before, Israel-Palestine, I was there uh, about 11 years ago, and I still remember with great vivid memory of entering into, into, uh, into Jerusalem, and it, and it is, right? It is going up. It's, it's going from a valley, and it's up, and that's why some of the Psalms, when it says, uh, lift up your eyes, right, from, from where my help comes from, you're like, you lift up your eyes. And here... Psalm 68, right, it's a declaration praising God that God has brought them, has brought the captives, those who are in captivity, God's people in captivity in Egypt, and all that, all that Egypt and all that Mount Sinai symbolize in the life and the community of Israel, struggle, oppression, uh, hardship, um, uh, 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 enslavement, all of that, that we were captive to that, and that the Lord brought us out of that, and brought us to, uh, to, to Mount Zion, right? Psalm 68, as we read, says that the gifts were given to the Lord. The Lord is the receiver of the gifts. Why? To praise God, right? To worship God, to express thanks to God. But notice here in Ephesians, so flip, flip back to our Ephesians text, when the Apostle Paul and his community, inspired by the Spirit, write this, they quote that same text, Psalm 68, 18, with a little modification. And what's that modification? What's that little change? That the Lord, He gave gifts to His people. Well, wait a minute. 
If he's quoting Psalm 68, 18, why is it that he has license to somewhat change the wording of Psalm 68, 18 when it's clear in 68, 18, the offering and gifts are the other way around? The people giving gifts to the Lord. Because it's what the Lord has done, right? The Lord has done it. Notwithstanding the, the groanings and moanings and complaints of the people uh, in, the, in the captivity in the desert wilderness, after they arrived in Jerusalem at Mount, at Mount Zion, they were the ones who gave offerings to the Lord. The Lord received the gifts. But here in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul switches it. The Lord is the one who's giving the gifts to His people. Is that editorial license? Is that a contradiction? Is it changing Scripture? I mean, we would, we would put our hands up and say, well, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You can't do that. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a mistake. There's a mistake here. It, it, but it's not a mistake. That's why I kept saying the Apostle Paul and his community led by the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't make a mistake, right? God doesn't make a mistake. The Spirit led the Apostle to write this. So what's going on here? This is an example, this is an example of the writers of Scripture contextualizing a prior Scripture in order to make a point. Now, what's the point? The point in this one is two things, two themes. They want to emphasize that part of Psalm 68 that says that the Lord led His people out of captivity in victory. That Jesus who ascended, to say that He ascended means that He had descended, right? No one could go up unless they had come down, right? From where else would you have come from if you say that, oh, I went up. Well, that means you came, you were at some lower place. So they want to say that, that remember Psalm 68 going from the desert up to the, to the Mount Zion. Jesus is doing that similar pattern of down to up, up to down, down to up. There's a wonderful stained glass window in the sanctuary. If you're, if you're standing looking at the chancel, looking at the organ, house left, right behind the organ, there's a wonderful stained glass that's depicting Jacob's ladder. You'll see these angels going up and down, right? Up and down. Jesus is up and down, came from heaven, was born, lived among us, died. The creed says He descended into the dead. He died. He rose, came up. He rose and then He spent some time with the disciples having a barbecue at the beach, having different meals. And then He ascended and then went up. Well, Jesus' pattern of living and serving, dying and rising and ascending is as like Psalm 68. From captivity, He leads them through struggle, leads them up, right? That's what they want to do. The Apostle Paul wants to carry that narrative to say, the Lord Jesus who did this when He was among us 
is not only parallel, but is very similar, that he's the same Lord who was there way back when. That's what they're doing. And then what they're doing is saying, yes, in Psalm 68, the gifts were given to the Lord, but the Lord is generous. The Lord is good. The gifts that He's given, He now wants to share it with us. That's not to negate the fact that gifts are to be given to the Lord, that He's, to be worth, he's worthy of our praise and worship, etc., etc. But the emphasis that they want to emphasize, the two themes of, Jesus saves, Jesus rescues us, right? And number two, the Lord who saves and rescues us wants to give gifts to the church, to His community, to those whom He loves, to those whom He has given His life for, so that we can be made worthy of the calling, remember the beginning of chapter 4, that we may be made worthy of the calling to which we have been called together. Right? That's what it is. And so, that's why verse 7 is saying that, um, with that little twist, He gave gifts to His people. And so now we ask, okay, so what are those gifts? What are those gifts? And what are those gifts to be used for? So what and the why? And we'll add, and the how. So what's the, what's the gifts? The gifts that He gives in the power of the Spirit, these are gifts of the Spirit, He gives to the church particular offices. Now, by show of hands, how many of you are pastors? How many of you are prophets? How many of you are teachers? How many of you are evangelists? God throughout His mission, remember God's on a mission, God throughout His mission from time immemorial and keeps going calls a community together whether it be the community of Abram's family, whether it be the community of, of the, uh, of the uh, people of Israel coming out of Egypt, uh, of the nation of Israel under, uh, under uh, the kings, God calls community, and from that community, He calls certain persons to come from that community, to serve the community and to equip the community. God is doing the same thing here, uh, uh, giving gifts so that, so that God's people are not left in chaos, that there's some, not only organization, but that there is this, this let's equip each other, let's teach each other, let's, let's encourage each other, right? Let's, let's teach each other in the ways of Jesus. And so pastors mean shepherd, uh, prophets are those who declare the will of God, um, apostles, those who are sent, those who are sent, teachers, those who teach doctrine, those who teach the, the ways of Jesus, evangelists, those who proclaim good news. So now let me ask again. How many of you are pastors, shepherds, or let me put it in, uh, in, in, uh, in daily lingo, how many of you care for other people? Okay. Prophets. Declaring the will of God. How many of you like or have done or have shared the will of God? Yeah, in some way you have. How many of you have shared 
or hope to share good news. Or not, not any good news, but the good news of Jesus. There we go. You guys are evangelists. How many of you are sent? As in, Jesus sends you to love others and to proclaim Jesus and to, and to pray for others and to share in your life, in your words, and in, in how you engage others that, uh, that the good news of Jesus is alive. How many of you do that? You are evangelists. And how many of you have taught, whether you're a friend, whether an, an older adult, whether a young person, how many of you have taught about the love of God and what it means there we go. So there are particular folks who are commissioned in these offices. Pastor Jack, Pastor Jan, Pastor Neil. There are Bible study teachers. We, we commission them, right? We, we recognize their authority. There are evangelists. Those who are, that is, what, that is their calling. But there's another part to this, right? The church, the church, all of us, is to be pastoral, aren't we? Every church is to be pastoral. So even though there are particular offices of pastor, the church of Jesus Christ, the Holy Catholic Church, is to be pastoral. We are to shepherd, we are to care, we are to nurture the lambs. Is the church to be prophetic? Yeah, right? The church, the church of Jesus Christ is to declare the will of God. Is the church to be evangelistic? I hope so, right? The church is to declare is to proclaim good news in our worship, in our teachings, on the website, anything that we do. Is a church to be apostolic? Yes, the church is sent out. We don't just gather together for the sake of gathering together. We are, we are sent in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Is a church to be teaching? Absolutely, right? And so, this gifting of the Lord to the community of believers is both particular offices, but also the character and dimension of the church. Are you with me? Still? Okay, now, so there's the what, there's the who, now here's the why. So going further, verses 12 through 16, why is it that the, that the Lord gives us uh, these gifts? Gives us the gifts of people, gives us the gift of the community, gives us the gift of uh, the church being all these things, pastoral and, and apostolic and, uh, and evangelistic and, and prophetic and so forth. And the letter lays it out in, in 12 through 16. Uh, the purpose is at least three things. One, to equip each other, right? We want to, the church gathers together so that we might encourage and equip each other. Now, this is where the church of Jesus Christ is different then the Rotary, then the Kiwanis, then the Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts, any other organization, any other community. The distinctive character of the church is not only, and well, primarily, right, that we are a community um, called into being because of Jesus Christ, we are here to equip and to encourage each other in the ways of Jesus so that we might encourage each other and support each other in our, in our vocation, in our vocation, in our calling, in our calling to be the people of God. That's why we're here, right? 
whenever we gather for Bible study, for fellowship, for worship, for service, we are here, we exist to worship God and to encourage each other in our worship and in our following of Jesus. And that's what that says there, to equip to equip the saints for the work of ministry, that all of us are here together for ministry, for the building up, uh, using the metaphor of a building, that we are being aligned. We are being aligned. Yesterday, I was at La Costa Glen. I had a meeting, I had a meeting prior to the Bible study, and um, as I was walking up to the Laguna Room, uh, to the clubhouse there, there was, a, there was a young man who was, I think, in his uh, mid-30s, I could say young man because he's mid mid thirties, and I think it was one of the one of the uh, one of the grounds people, and he was telling one of the uh, La Costa residents uh, he had a he had a uh, he had a a brace on his on his um, on his on his left arm. He was telling the story of how he was in uh, one of those indoor uh, what do you call those the um, uh, skydiving. The indoor skydiving. How many of you have been skydiving ever in your life? There you go, the daring, risky ones. Love that. So those of you who haven't, right, they have one in San Marcos and some other locations, but you go inside a, you go inside a, uh, a tube, right, a tube, and you're uh, given some uh, a safety harness and so forth, and then a, uh, a continuous burst of air emanates from the ground, and you're floating like as if you're skydiving. So you're just levitating with the air that blows, right? So you're there. So he's telling us this story. He's just floating like this. And after his time is up, I guess you pay for like 30 minutes or whatever for one hour. They slowly lower the, the air. So you lower. And you're instructed to grab hold of the door. To grab hold of the door. So as the air is just slowly bringing you down, you grab the door but you have to grab the door in the right way. You grab the door and then you slide out. Or you glide out. Or you float out. Whatever you want to call it. You, you float out of the door and then you land on your feet and there you go. Well, he was saying rather than holding the handle of the door this way, he held it, or instead of this way, he held it this way. Well, who knew, right? This and this. Well, in the process of doing this instead of this, as he was swinging, his arm swung one, one way and his body went the other, and so it went out of joint. So he's telling us this, and the, our, uh, our friends at La Casa Glen were cringing as I was cringing, like, oh my, oh my God. He had to go to the ER. They had to pop it back. That's what he said. They pop it back. Right, Dr. Grendel, that's painful. Pop it back, and then he's in this, he's in this, in this brace. Apostle Paul uses the image of building and that each of us are like ligaments. And, and oftentimes, we get out of joint. Don't we? We do. We always get out of joint. That's why we have the prayer of confession every week. Because we get out of joint. We... We, you know, uh, this tendon here and this ligament over here, this bone over it either breaks, sometimes the bone breaks, right? Or sometimes we just get out of joint. And that's why every time we gather together, 
when we gather together like this, when we hear the Word of God again, when we encourage each other with a hug or, or with a scripture or pray for someone. We're praying that the Spirit will, will realign us again so that we're, you know, we're back on track again, back to the mission, vision, values of, of Jesus. And so that as we grow and grow, we'll grow in maturity, we'll grow in strength, we'll grow in stature and wisdom so that the frequency of getting out of joint won't be as frequent, so that the breakage won't be as severe, right? That's why we gather together. So that's the purpose of why we're here. Um, that's the purpose of why we're called together to grow in Jesus, to fall more in love with Him more, more widely, more deeply. Um, and in doing so, we take on the agenda of Jesus, which is what? To reconcile, to reconcile the world to Himself so that the love of God, love of neighbor, love of ourselves might increase to the glory of God. Amen. Okay, so the question is, um, where did the Lord get the gifts, right? So in, in the Psalm 68 one, where he's being given the gifts, right, uh, the people are offering their lives, they're praising God in song, right, uh, they're serving. Remember, the, the offering that the Lord is pleased with is the offering of our life and service, right? Caring for others, uh, that's a way of giving gifts, right? In the, in the Ephesians 4, where he, give, where he gives gifts, uh, those gifts are his calling. When he calls people and equips people to serve as pastors and teachers and all that, um, but even more broadly, when he calls a church to be those things, to be pastoral, prophetic, evangelistic, those are gifts because when... Whenever the Lord calls, He provides. Um, there's a, um, friends in the assemblies of God uh, um, remind us where God gives vision, God gives provision. All right, so when God calls, God doesn't leave us empty-handed. And so when the Lord calls the church together, the community together, God will be sure that that community, His community, is equipped and provided to carry out that calling. So a question that uh, Brent asks, how can an individual know what their gift or gifts are, right? Um, it's, it's discerning where other people will, where the community will either point that out or, or the Spirit will use the community to nudge another. Uh, this is where, you know, we in the Presbyterian Reformed tradition are good about the, the, the councils. We love committees and groups, right? We love that. And uh, in, our, in our community of discerning, you know, sort of uh, determining what is the will of God for you and for us, it's the individual and the community aligning together and saying, you know, sometimes the community might say, oh, Brenda, you know, you're, you're so gifted at fill in the blank. And you might say, no, I'm not sure about that. And then over time, it's confirmed for you. Or maybe not. Maybe you'll say back to the community, no, I really don't feel called to that. Or it might be the reverse, where an individual will say, you know what, I, I sense that I'm called and gifted towards X, Y, Z, and the community says, we agree with that. We agree with that. Or, no, not quite, but here's another way, A, B, C. 
right? So in that, in that sense, it is that it's a community of the Spirit coming together and affirming and confirming uh, those gifts. Aren't there some tests provided that you can take to determine what you're really gifted at? There are. Um, I am thinking of a, um, there's an online uh, questionnaire actually that, that Solana Beach uses um, that's on their site that their small group ministry uses to have every member sort of assess, answer these questions. Then here's a, uh, there's also uh, like personality um, test that not quite at spiritual gifts, but you know, your, your particular personality makeup that helps you to, that helps us to determine are you, are you more geared to work in this type of group or with these type of people. Um, yeah, there are spiritual gifts inventory is the name that I'm thinking of. Spiritual gifts inventory, um, I think is the name of that, of that uh, uh, modality. But even then, after, after um, you take those kinds of inventory tests, it's very key that the community affirm and confirm that as well. Right? That's why our ordination process, I just met uh, on Monday with a uh, candidate for ordination um, uh, in our presbytery, and our ordination process takes um, at least two years, typically it takes about three or four. Right? It's a careful process where someone who senses a call uh, to be a, a minister a minister of word and sacrament, a teaching elder, right? It's a careful, careful process. Um, to be called, uh, you know, those of you who are called to be um, ruling elders and deacons, that's a careful process with nominating committee, right? Um, a careful process to, to be a teacher, a Bible study teacher, right? We want to be sure not only are you comfortable with the Scriptures, but you're able to pray, uh, you have a... Um, a you don't have to have a full master's degree, a master of divinity, and so forth, and in, in, in Bible and so forth, but, you know, to have a good grasp of, of, uh, of Scripture and doctrine. Um, but we're all called, right? We're all called in some form or fashion. And that, I hope, is the takeaway of this text, uh, that all of us, all of us have a common calling. You don't have to have a particular office because the church itself has been called to be these things, pastoral, prophetic, evangelistic, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, Neil, how would you address when someone thinks they're called, <laughs> and so they go out and they're doing what they feel they're called to do? I have a f relative um, in my family, and she is convinced she was called to to spread the ministry. But then when you look at how she oftentimes lives her life in her own family <laughs> and the divisiveness she can cause, it's, it's not in balance. She's yeah. writing these books, and she wants to get these books into prisons and bring people to the Lord. And then you just look internally, and you're just like, oh, boy. You know, maybe start at home, and then kind of how you live and how you conduct you. So I guess I'm asking you, mm -hmm. we're all fallen. We all grow in our different places in our path, but right. how can we help others amongst us when they think they have this calling and they go out marching to this parade and you just kind of want to help them and reel them in and maybe open their scales off their eyes to see some things they're maybe missing? Yeah, yeah. Again, we, we Presbyterians have an allergy. We have an, we have an allergy for anything that sparks of individual 
individual uh, power, authority, and so forth. So our antihistamine to that, our antidote for either self-delusion or aggrandizement of self is the community, right? And so, uh, have there been individuals who have been called as individuals like Saul of Tarsus who became Paul? Yes, but it was always confirmed by the community. Always confirmed. That's a, that's a, not a full guarantee, but it is a good way, isn't it, to double check, to double check. And um, if, if that friend of yours or, or any others, I mean, I've been, I've known of, of many folks over the years who have, who have felt when they feel, oh, I feel called. Okay, let's test the feeling, right? Let's test the calling. And how do we test it? Well, one, does it glorify God, not yourself? Right, number two, is it equipping people? Is it equipping the ministry so that other people are likewise equipped to share the good news and so forth, right? And number three, is there a community of believers who are the peer reviewers, right, who can affirm that and reconfirm it again and again? Um, it's, a good, it's a good antidote. It's a good antihistamine uh, to that feeling of self self-calling. Well, have a blessed time uh, in, in the small groups and uh, keep studying the Word. Let's uh, keep encouraging each other and um, remember what Pastor Jack's uh, pastoral exhortation was on Sunday before the benediction. Um, during this week, and you probably have done this in the last three days, whenever you see a, a church, church building, whether a steeple or the name of the church sign or a storefront where there are believers there, give thanks to the Lord for that uh, church community. And then when we gather, just like here, and then again on Sunday, give thanks to the Lord because the Lord has called us together as the community, as part of the Holy Catholic Church to which the village church is but one small but important part of it. Let us look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we are uh, so grateful that in your Son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have called us together as a community of believers to follow Jesus and to equip and to support one another for the common ministry you have entrusted to us. Lord, might you continue to provide for all that we need, always relying upon you, always placing our trust and confidence in you, that we might be worthy of that calling to which you have given to us. I pray that you would bless my sisters in Christ as they go now into small groups, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless everyone. Thank you.